Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Processes Podcast. This is episode number 98. Well, I hope you are doing well. Today on the show, we are talking to Monique Jelks, your HSPA president. But before we talk to Monique, let's get into the segment, What's On My Mind. Today on What's On My Mind, we are looking at an article in the November-December Process Magazine. Now, the article is called Calculating Productivity Put Staffing, Time, and More on SPD's Side. Now, this article was written by Julie Williamson, the HSPA Editor-in-Chief, and it's about a presentation given by our very own Monique Jelks. So a two-for-one special today. So to our article, nothing is more vital to the success of a sterile processing department than its dedicated, skilled employees. Yet there are factors that have made it increasingly difficult for many sterile processing leaders to staff their departments at optimal levels, especially in recent years. Not only did the challenges of COVID, the pandemic, lead some professionals to pursue non-healthcare related employment, which in some cases led to shortages in full-time employees and subsequent surge in hiring of traveling technicians, the profession has also experienced a growing need for more sophisticated devices and equipment, such as robotics, that require skilled and focused sterile processing team members to process them safely, effectively, and efficiently. Compounding this matter even further is that many C-suite executives still don't have a clear understanding of the sterile processing profession and how processing technicians' many roles and responsibilities affect patient care and customer service. So it's this lack of knowledge that hinders the sterile processing's ability to hire additional technicians, to meet procedural demands, and keep sterile processing operations running optimally. Now, the primary solution to requesting and attaining the appropriate number of technicians is carefully analyzed, calculating and documenting sterile processing productivity and sharing that data with facility executive leaders. Now, Monique, who has served as a clinical educator of sterile processing uh, for Georgia's Wellstar Hospital System, explains that sterile processing leaders must be able to calculate document, and disseminate productivity data. You know, this information should clearly highlight how many sets are processed daily and why more staffing is needed to keep up with the procedural volume and end-user requests. We need to be articulate and share them, you know, through actual data and calculations, what we do in our department and why we need these resources, explains Monique. The sterile processing manager will often share these proposals with the department director who then gives it to the C-suite for review and consideration. You know, it is imperative 
to provide these details to executives because commonly used surgery minutes and case volumes do not equate to how much time it takes to process instruments. Data collection analysts and documentation understanding sterile processing department's current production and capabilities as well as upcoming charges such as new procedures, technologies, or anticipated procedure volumes increases, it is essential for establishing accurate productivity calculations and staffing needs. Now, Monique recommends that sterile processing leaders assess everything the sterile processing team produces. In addition to surgical instrument sets, loan trays, equipment, like bedpans, IV pumps, flexible endoscopes, case carts, and supplies are all critical data and collection points. Especially important, Monique says, is factoring all the departments the SPD department serves. Aside from surgery, sterile processing serves labor and delivery, endoscopy, the emergency department, cath labs, minor procedure clinics, and a number of other areas. The number of technicians working in each processing area of the sterile processing department must also be considered. You know, make sure that you include decontamination, high-level disinfection, assembly, sterilization, case cart building, distribution. You know, all these things need to be factored in. This will demonstrate the scope of sterile processing's responsibilities, identify areas in most need of additional employees, and provide a baseline for the request within the organization's executives. Now, Moni discussed the benefits of conducting a time study to determine how many sets each technician produces daily. Computer-based tracking systems can help capture this and other pertinent productivity data. You can review the reports that show exactly how many sets are sterilized per day and how many sets are needed for all areas served by the department. Monique also says that sterile processing departments without tracking systems can gather pertinent data manually. When conducting a manual time study, it is wise to ask the technicians in your department for help. You need to reassure them that the study is to monitor departmental productivity and not to be used punitively. You need to explain that the purpose is not to reprimand them, but to ensure the department is staffed appropriately. You know, it's in their interests. In an eight-hour shift, managers conducting a time study should subtract meals, breaks, and time spent searching for missing devices, deducting a 30-minute meal, 15-minute break, and other 15 minutes spent looking for instruments for each employee. This leaves each technician, in Monique's example, seven hours a day to process sets. Now, Monique also urges that attendees look to the assembly area as potential bottleneck for the department and its technicians. Each sterile processing area and task requires attention to detail, but the assembly area requires intricate focus and their trends to be higher volumes of tray backlog. She recommends reviewing productivity reports for assembly by each technician and shift, choosing various levels of experience and set complexity to capture the most meaningful data. Creating or saving sterilization logs that list all items sterilized is also helpful when computer-based tracking systems are unavailable. 
The same is true for requesting the surgery scheduling report to review sets requested, including add-on cases. You know, furthermore, if a case cart system is in use, it can be used to calculate what is also needed. One example, taking a daily average of sets required only by surgery, 320, and daily sets sterilized, 260, across the nine technicians. This data demonstrates a deficiency of 60 sets per day, which would require overtime to produce. With one technician producing 28 sets per shift on average, the data indicates that two additional sterile processing technicians are needed to meet the facility's surgical requirements. Now, if you are a level one trauma center, for example, you need to be bold and state that you won't be able to handle multi-casualty accidents because there's not enough sets that would be available. Be calm with the request, but be bold in announcing that the facility won't be able to help patients the way it should without adequate staffing. Although surgery is the sterile processing department's primary customer, it certainly is not the only one. For example, one of the sterile processing department's monthly production, you know, Monique shares how 5,980 sets were sterilized for surgery, 1,200 peel pack devices and trays were needed for clinics and the emergency department, and then 2,875 linen packs were sterilized for the hospital. You know, the more detailed the data documented, the better chances of gaining support and the much needed resources. Present data to supporters and stakeholders once productivity and data is captured, analyzed, and documented. It's time to share it with your stakeholders. Gain support from the organization's infection preventionists. You know, it's often a sound strategy because the infection preventionists are focused on helping departments attain what they need to promote safety, reduce infection risk, and other negative outcomes. Show them your data so they can support your proposal. So the data provided to your infection preventionist and the facility executives should include a summary of the report with all the essential data to support your request and help them make the most informed decision. You know, I recommend both verbal communication and a slide presentation if possible. If emails are used, it should contain the same critical details, including bullet facts to help make the case for additional full-time employees. Now, Monique also notes that the presentation should illustrate the precise productivity numbers and how an understaffed sterile processing department will negatively affect the facility's overall operations. The risk of understaffing include high backlog of underutilized sets, delayed or canceled cases, diminished confidence and satisfaction for the surgical team, increased risk to patients, overworked and stressed technicians, and increased employee turnover. Remember, it is important to give facts, not fluff. Hard data is what will yield the best results. Now, some of the takeaways from this article, when calculating productivity, remember that surgery minutes and case volume do not equate to the time needed to process surgical instruments. 
Be prepared to explain your department's productivity and speak about bottlenecks and other challenges. This helps justify the sterile processing department's responsibilities and demonstrates where staffing gaps are most prevalent. Conduct a time study to measure departmental productivity. This is ideally done with an instrument tracking system, but can also be performed manually by timing staff, reviewing sterilization logs, and requesting the surgery scheduling report to track the sets requested for procedures, including add-on cases. Share your data with supporters, such as your infection preventionists, so they can help advocate for your staffing request and other resource needs. And last, stick to the facts. Combine the verbal communication with a visual presentation when possible. If the request must be emailed, include a concise list of facts and details to justify your request. So great article. If you need to access this article, you can find it in the November-December process publication. And that's going to do it for this segment of What's On My Mind. Monique, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, like where you work, your hobbies, what you do for fun? Well, first of all, thank you so much for the invite. I am uh, our current HSPA president. I am a system educator for Wellstar Health System in Georgia. And so I have been in this industry of surgical services for 33 years. I uh, love my job with all my heart. And I, I guess you have some other questions for me before I get to going, because, you know, once I start talking, I just don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, so everybody has a story about how they got into sterile processing. So how did you get into the field of sterile processing? Oh, absolutely. Let me tell you, um, this story many people can resonate with. Uh, I was working at a hospital that doesn't exist anymore. It's called Wishard, Wishard Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's now Eskenazi Hospital. And so I was working at this hospital as a surgical tech. I was getting my bachelor's degree in business because I was planning on leaving healthcare altogether and going to the community service nonprofit world. And so as a part of graduating with my bachelor's degree, I had to write this huge paper. So I went to my boss. At the time, I was a surgical tech and a coordinator of orthopedic services. I went to my boss and said, hey, I would like to do a paper on surgical services and, and with a focus on sterile processing because sterile processing runs more like manufacturing. And so I wanted to capture that in my paper. And she said, absolutely, that will be great because we're having all kinds of problems and maybe you can come up with the solutions. And so I went to sterile processing like the very next week. She gave me one day to go down there and help out. And when I went down there that same day, she had gotten into it a big disagreement with the current sterile processing manager 
and he abruptly quit. He is still oh, wow. my friend right now today. He's retired from the industry, but he abruptly quit. And that pushed me into sterile processing. My leader said, I need you to stay in sterile processing and fix it. <laughs> well, guess what? I took a deep dive into sterile processing, helped out, just helped. And I saw so much dysfunction on the surgical end that I started doing education for surgical services. You want your trays fast? You want them turned over? This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. So point of use care, I was preaching that uh, 17 years ago. And so I loved it. I loved it so much. And I just never went back to surgery. So I got my bachelor's degree and stayed in sterile processing. Well, that's great. And we're, we're glad you did. What do you like most about working in sterile processing? So, you know what? People may find this odd about me. I really am a behind the scenes person. Like I love to talk and socialize with individuals but I don't like to be in the forefront. I don't I don't really like the limelight. And many people will understand that because I'm not on social media a whole lot. I'm a problem solver. I'm a, a genuine, authentic, transformational leader. So I like to solve the problems and create process improvements. I, I love that work. So within sterile processing, I love education. I love teaching, sharing, showing, right? Uh, surgery, brings us different energy every single day. There is not two days the same in sterile processing. And so every day that I get up that I can say, hey, this is what we're going to do today. This is how we're going to improve this process today. I love that part. So I've been out of leadership for a year. I took a system educator role and I, I actually miss leadership a lot. So I never thought that I would say that, but <laughs> I, I never thought that I would say that, but I miss it so much. So stay tuned. I may be coming to a town near you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, well, that kind of leads me into my next question about what made you decide to get into leadership? Yeah. Well, I didn't decide to get into leadership. Leadership called me. And so I never saw myself as a leader. So anyone listening to this who just like to help, who just like to fix, who just like to create the solutions and be a part of seeing the change for good happen, you are a leader, point blank. And so I just like to get in the thick of things and make it better. And I like to work with people. I'm a big collaborator. So if I can work with individuals to make it happen, I'll do that. All that work of me just, hey, I got an idea. Hey, this is it. It was recognized by my leaders. And they begin to say, you know what, Monique, can you help us work on this project? Can you help us work on that project? And me going to sterile processing that day was my first official leadership job in healthcare. And so... That's how it happened for me in healthcare. Now, with the orthopedic coordinator, you're not really leading teams. You're getting dumped on by the surgeons in the <laughs> OR <laughs> to say, we need this, we need that, order this, order that, right? And you scrub the cases, but that's not that's not your leadership. So my leadership came in the form of problem solving and fixing processes. And now I am full-fledged sterile processing leadership. So how long have you served HSPA on the executive board and in what capacity? So I joined HSPA executive board uh, four years ago. So this is my, uh, yeah, right. four years. So I, I was nominated to the board as a director. 
And so that nomination came to my surprise. I was really shocked, but I was willing to take it on because I, I had so many ideas about how HSPA at that time called ISHM could serve the organization better, could serve our industry better. I had so many ideas. And so when I got nominated to the board, what I was shocked to find out is that I entered the board during the time that it was um, in the window of the new strategic plan, okay? Mm -hmm. So in every corporation, in every healthcare, in any business, period, you have to plan your goals years out. So the, the strategy to keep you relevant, to keep you afloat, to keep your business alive, every business, even if you own a little mom and pop store down the street from your house, you have a plan and this year I want to do this, this year I want to do that. So HSPA has a three-year strategic plan that every three years we're looking at the next three-year goal, right? And so I was nominated to the board as a director with a strategic plan to change the name from Isham to some other name that was more relevant. You talking about supercharged? Oh my <laughs> God, didn't I just tell you I love to fix and I love to be a part of collaborative work? This was this was Monique Jelks on steroids in her happy place. <laughs> I'm telling you I was. And I, I, I mean, it was, I don't know. I can't, I was so elated with the work that was being done. And let me tell you, even though I was elated and happy and full of joy, I was sometimes unhappy. I was sometimes pissed off because if you work with a group of people, you're not going to always agree and you're not going to always get along. But guess what? They nominated me president. So I guess <laughs> I guess it wasn't too bad. But yeah. And so I was a part of that that uh, decision making team that changed the name to HSPA and then put it before the members for them to vote. So that is one of the things I'm most proud of. So some of our listeners don't quite know what the executive board does. What other type of things do you do throughout the year? Okay. So the the executive board throughout the year has the sole responsibility of connecting the board to its members, to its uh, vendor partners, uh, and to its um, international partners, international partners. When I say that, I mean outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. So we work on various change projects to make sure that we are serving the members correctly. Like right now, three years ago, I was a part of the first strategic plan. I was nominated to president under this, the next strategic plan. So that was three oh. years ago. So now here I am with the next strategic plan. So the board, when I first joined it, we were working on how we would increase our engagement with our members of HSPA, mm -hmm. what more and better educational offerings we will provide them. And then also, how do we connect uh, a stronger alliance with other countries, right? How do we have that global presence and global help and resources that it's, that's needed? Um, we work on a lot of things that is centrally focused on how do we provide better services and resources for the members? And it is a lot because all the members require different things. It's so important that the members fill out surveys when they go to conference because we use all of those surveys to guide our work through the years. So the board members that are elected right now, when we go to conference in uh, Las Vegas, guess what? Those board members are going to take those surveys from that conference 
that we're going to chew it up and spit it out and say, hey, what do our members want? What do they need? So everything that HSPA does uh, is guided by member satisfaction and how we engage with the members and also industry standards. What's coming out in the industry that we need to put forth to make sure that our organization stays relevant to support the members of HSPA and certification, right? So when you were nominated for president, what made you decide that you wanted to run for it? So when I was nominated for president, what made me decide that I wanted to run for it, it was because the name just changed. So we just got HSPA. Okay, it's like a marriage, John. You get married, your name changes. That's it. There's so much work to do if you're going to stay married, right? So yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> so what then my last name is this? Which wh- Okay, what you going to do? What you going to do to sustain it? What you going to do to keep it happy? What are you going to do, right? And so for me, it was more than that collaborative work of changing the name. I, I felt strongly since I was nominated, I felt strongly that I needed to see this thing through and put some expectation and character behind HSPA. So when people say, I'm a member of HSPA, what does that mean, right? I'm married to, for instance, not married to you, John, but I'm married to John. What does that mean? What what does our union mean? What does that mean, right? So we should have a standard of, of excellence that when people see us, this is what they're gonna get. And that's what I, I accepted the presidency for. So what excites you most about serving as president? Change management, (laughs) improvement. And, And so we just left the board, had a big, huge board meeting in Chicago at the headquarters in September. And so uh, the board members and myself, we sat for three days, um, pounding out everything that the members had brought to conference and putting out three pillar areas to say, this is the the areas we're gonna work on to make HSPA have a standard of excellence. Uh, One is education. The other one is member engagement. And the, the last one is our presence. Member engagement is just those who are members of the organization, but the presence is People should know who we are. Like mm-hmm. you have a lot of hospitals in rural America and they're like, HSPA, what's that? Right? Not only do they not know these executives, not know that where the where the sterile processing department is located in their facilities, but they don't <laughs> recognize sterile processing as a profession. So put in the presence of our industry out there and the presence of HSPA that says, hey, not only do we help to create these professionals, we endorse them with certification. So how do we how, how do we put that standard out there, our, our presence out there as being known? Well, we'll look forward to those those uh, strategic plans in the near future. Yes. So what advice would you give to somebody listening to this podcast who aspires to be on the board of directors or even follow your example of being HSPA president? You know what I would do if someone is, uh, in, is really really truly sincerely from their heart wanting to be a part of improving our industry and i'm going to say that uh being on the board is not it's not 
some people may say, see it as a glorified position. Yes, it's an honorable position. Anytime the members elect you and they put you on the board, it's one of honor, okay? But behind that honor comes a lot of work. And so you have to be willing to work for the changes that are needed and the sustainment that is needed within our industry, right? And so if you're truly interested, what I would do if I were you is to start posting things on social media that is positive about the industry. One thing about HSPA board members is that we pay attention to posts. We pay attention to those in social media. It's how we get to know you, right? Make sure your content is positive. And if you disagree with something that's going on in the industry, put a spin on it and, and sell us the solution, right? So we're looking for people who have leadership skills and you don't have to be a leader in your industry. You can be a frontline technician. We value you more than we value those who are in leadership, right? But come with the solutions. If you're working in your department and you say, hey, I don't think that this is for me, it is for you. It is for you because you do it every day and you're the person that moves the needle a little bit further for us to have the success that we have. So I would say post on social media, fun fact uh, solutions, uh, bring up topics, right? Get yourself out there so people know you. If you're not a social media person, join a local conference, join a local chapter of HSPA and uh, do presentations. If you're not a person that likes to do presentations, volunteer at the local chapter, right? Volunteer at the local chapter, join your local chapter, right? Just do those things that are going to uh, show that you care and want to be a part of moving our profession forward. Hey, let's pause our conversation for just a second. So are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Well, you are in luck. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to your MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code BOTTLENECK. Again, the code for this episode is BOTTLENECK. Now, back to our conversation. The HSPA Annual Conference is one of the biggest events that HSPA puts on. What would you say is your favorite part about the conference? The beginning and the end. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm not going to lie. My favorite part of the conference is opening session. And the reason why is because this is the most energized uh, part of the conference. It's, it's the most energized part of the conference. So if you've never been to conference, when you go to that opening session and you hear the keynote speaker and the current president talk, it is going to ignite you, inspire you, motivate you to do your best work. It's like therapy for sterile processing. You go to conference at the beginning and you are ready. You're ready for the education. You're ready to be filled, to be restored. The restoration and the education and the filling happens day one. And then you go through your days. The, the, I would say the second part about the conference is meeting new people. So you, you go day one and you're you're releasing yourself. You're like, take a deep breath. I'm not at work. I'm here. Right. And the music comes on. It starts to play. And now here comes the president of HSPA motivating you to do your best work and recognizing you for all the hard work that you do. It is exhilarating. That is my favorite part. 
My second part is meeting all the new people. Like I, I dance on the dance floor every year. And so I have a dance <laughs> partner. Uh, I can't think of her name. Oh my God. If she hears this podcast. She's going she's gonna to kill me. But she gets out on there. I think she's from um, Dakota, North Dakota. She, a, a, we get on that dance floor and we cut a rug. Do you hear me? <laughs> and, see, and, so, awesome. and so that's fun. Yeah. And then the closing session is the session that brings the calm. And it's the one that says, okay, let's get back to work and let's make it happen. So last question, as a leader and the HSPA president, what advice would you give to someone who is new to our profession? Study, be a, be a student of sterile processing, be a student of it, uh, learn, glean from everybody. The most challenging people in the sterile processing department are going to be your best teachers. The one that that's constantly on you about doing certain things their way, which is not necessarily the whole hard truth right way. But learn every single way that sterile processing is done and carried out. Be a student of this work and allow yourself two years, allow yourself two years to be comfortable with your uncomfortable environment. Two years, two years to be proficient in building a vast uh, variety of surgical services trays. If you work at a hospital that is just a niche, like orthopedic hospital or just a women's hospital that does labor and delivery, then it's going to shorten your time to one year because you're only dealing with the same things over and over and over again. Right. And you may be able to master some things in less than a year when you're at hospitals like this. But if you're at a hospital that has multi service lines or if you're at a surgical center, allow yourself if you're at a surgical center or a single place, allow yourself one year. But if you're at a hospital, multifaceted surgical services, give yourself two years to master everything, know how to do everything, surgical instruments, scopes, high level disinfection, low low level disinfection. I mean, give yourself time to learn, be a student of the work. Don't shy away from anything. Well, Monique, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for your service to sterile processing through our organization and to our profession. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for having me. Well, that music can mean only one thing, and I am sorry to say, but we are out of time for today. Thank you, Monique, for being on the show. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. HSPA episode number 98 is in the books. We're done for today. Thanks for sticking around with us. Hey, each episode we do here on the podcast is on demand. So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy and we'll see you next time.